Today in our series, we're going to be focusing on the topic of pride, which is uh, mentioned many, many times throughout the book of Proverbs. And we know it's a horrendously detrimental thing in our lives, which is why it's mentioned so many times in Proverbs. So if you want to, you're going to just want to look up on the screen here because I'm just going to be reading some assorted Proverbs. So it's going to be a little bit hard for you to follow along if you're, if you're trying, you're going to be doing a lot of page flipping and I don't think you're going to keep up, but, um, but um, so if you just want to follow along with me as we read here, here we go. To fear the Lord is to hate evil. And this is God speaking here, I hate pride and arrogance, evil behavior and perverse speech. When pride comes, then comes disgrace, but with humility comes wisdom. Where there is strife, there is pride, but wisdom is found in those who take advice. A fool's mouth lashes out with pride, but the lips of the wise protect them. Pride goes before destruction, a haughty spirit before a fall. Pride brings a person low, but the lowly in spirit gain honor. And uh, this morning, the, the one psalm that I'd like us to focus on and, and maybe try to memorize this week is Proverbs 11, verse 2, which we already read, but I'm going to read it again. Uh, when pride comes, then comes disgrace, but with humility comes wisdom. So, a lot of times in, in Proverbs, we see uh, the word haughty with, uh, attached to the word pride. And uh, we, I read it uh, at least once in those. And so, it just essentially is a different way of saying like superiority complex that we know, right? It's just having that puffed chest that we think of typically as pride. Uh, but it's like a it's like an overabundance of that, right? It's like way going too, too far with it, right? That's the, that haughty spirit that we're talking about. So um, pride in and of itself, because it is not necessarily sin. And I'm going to say that just because uh, Proverbs also talks about taking pride in yourself, taking pride in your children, taking pride in, in things, right? Like, so pride in and of itself is not necessarily always, when we hear that word, it's not always attached to sin, but it instantly and always becomes sin when it causes us to see ourselves outside of the way that God sees us. And that's a really foundational understanding that I need us to have together this morning, okay, is that pride is seeing yourself any way other than how God sees you. So, uh, you know, I, I do have pride in my kids, in my wife, of the good things that God's given me in my life. Um, and even in those circumstances, right, like I, I have to recognize that I have those because of God. I have those because of a good father in heaven that's given me these amazing things in my life. But if I tried to take credit for that, if I tried to take credit for that, uh, then I'm no longer seeing those things the way God sees them, am I? Right? <laughs> well, you take a second. It's okay. So um, this all comes back to, though, like, like um, loving God and loving others. Okay? It's the, it's the greatest commandments, right? It's love your neighbor as yourself, like the golden rule. It's all those things, right? It's just if we can see ourselves the way that God sees us through loving God 
and through loving others and treating them the same way that we would want to be treated, right? We're going to be on the right path, right? But we stray from that pretty quickly in life. And pretty consistently, we stray from those things. So if, um, if disgrace comes from pride, but with humility uh, comes wisdom, then how do we overcome pride? We have to figure that out today. That's our big question, is how do we overcome pride? Well, the first thing that we have to do is we have to root pride out of our lives. We have to root pride out of our lives. And pride is tricky. It's crafty. It sneaks up on us, and it takes so many forms in our lives. And it is the puffed chest that we think about, right? It's that... um, you know, my dog growing up, I had a Yorkshire Terrier. He was very small. And uh, we would have, uh, I grew up in North Dakota, so we had a lot of snow for a long time every year. And so we would just pile up the snow in the yard, shovel in the sidewalks, and eventually there'd be like this giant drift that sometimes would go over the top of our chain link fence. And there was people that would walk their dogs in the alleyways. And uh, this one guy in particular would always walk his Malamute, like a giant husky dog, right? Like, always walk that thing every day, and my dog would lose his mind every time he saw that dog, just like, vicious, vicious, annoying little dog, you know? And if the snow was high enough, he would take a running start and launch himself over the fence and just, like, tear into that dog. And every single time that happened, that dog would just, like, what's, what's happening? What's going on? Is something, is something happening? Oh, he wouldn't even care. It like didn't even phase that dog because it was 20 times the size, you know, of, of like my little tiny dog. He did it to a St. Bernard. He did it like he's just an idiot. That dog is, was not smart, right? Right? But, and it's easy to like see that in that situation and be like, what are you doing? Like, who do you think you are? Like, you are not that person. That is not who you are. That is not how anybody else sees you. You need to calm down, okay? Like, and it's easy to call that out in other people, but it's a lot harder to call that out in ourselves, isn't it? It's a lot harder to call that out in ourselves. And, you know, I think it's even like, you know, um, the reality of the puffed chest side of pride um, You know, I think even that is, like, easier to call out in yourself even, maybe. Because, you know, we we tell ourselves things to try to get through. I can do this. I got this. I don't need anybody else. You know, I can, I I have no, you know, I don't need to ask for help. I'm, I'm fine. You know, that is that puffed chest mentality. And we can acknowledge that. Overcoming it is a different story. But I think a lot of us can at least acknowledge that we're not really good at asking for help. We're not very good at at inviting other people into our lives to, to help us because it, it's like this sign of weakness, right? And so we're having to admit something about ourselves. But again, if pride is, pride is, the, is owning a reality about ourselves that doesn't line up with God's reality about us, right? And you know what? I, I have a tendency to go way too far in the other direction. Now, believe me, I have my own, I'm terrible at asking for help. Right? Like, and so I definitely have that in me. But I also like grew up way on the other end of the spectrum of pride, which is self-hatred, self-loathing, thinking of myself like way lower than I ought to. That's the same thing. That's still the realm of pride because I'm seeing myself in a way other than how I see myself. See, it's how God sees me, right? 
We track in with that? Very important that we kind of understand that piece of this. And, um, you know, I've learned parenting um, has taught me so many things uh, so far, and I know I have a lot to learn through my three girls. uh, But one of the things that hurts me the most um, is is when one of my daughters um, screams and says, like, they hate themselves. Now, I can take when they say, I hate you, like, because it's like, I asked you to pick up your clothes off the floor. I know you don't hate me. Like, you don't know what that even means. Like, we're going to still talk about it, believe me, but, but I have a lot more grace for that, right? But when I hear them say something about themselves like that, I hate myself, I'm worthless, like, nobody loves me, that kind of stuff, that hurts me to my core, my heart is just rocked in those moments. And don't for a second think that we don't do that to God. How many times have you owned that sort of thing about yourself? I'm no good. I'm worthless. I hate myself. We do the very same thing to our Father in heaven who created us, who knit us together in our mother's womb, who knows the number of hairs on our head, who loves us enough to send his son to die. How do you think it hurts his heart to hear those things out of our mouths, his beloved, his children? It's just as destructive. That version of pride is just as destructive as the puffed chest version of pride. And if we recognize and understand that we have got to do the work of rooting pride out of our lives, then we have to start with with a question. And that is simply, Father, who am I in your eyes? And I want you to write that down. If you have something to write with, if it's something in your phone, like, I want you to take a moment and I want you to write that down. I want you to write that question down. Father, who am I in your eyes? And you better believe that our good Father is eager to answer that question. And he tells us constantly in his word, who we are to him. He shows us every good and perfect thing in our lives is from God. He shows us how much he loves us. He shows us what he thinks of us, just even through provision and blessing and goodness in our lives. The fact that we have air to breathe, the fact that it's raining, the fact that all these things are happening, the sun is out today, the fact that we got up this morning, that is the goodness of God. That is the goodness of God at work in our lives. Him trying to show us his love for us. Right, but just asking that question, Father, who am I in your eyes? We can ask that question, but we also have to do our part in receiving the answer. Because we can easily shut his mouth. We can easily put our, our, our fingers in our ears. And we can ignore it. And we have that tendency in life as well. Okay, so we have that tendency as well don't we, to ignore God. Because God is, um, he's not going to give up on, on the message that he wants us to hear. He's going to keep 
pushing that message forward until we hear it, we receive it, and then we can move on to the next thing. But sometimes we get stuck for decades in our life with the same message that he's trying to get through to us, but it becomes white noise to us after a while. It's just, it's just lost because we've heard it so many times that we don't even recognize it anymore. It's like a grandfather clock in your house that you grow up with, right? I have a clock in my house that I grew up with, and it has a very annoying chime, very loud, but I don't even hear it anymore. Like, and people come over and they're like, what is going on? And it's not even accurate. Like, it's five minutes late and it doesn't chime the right amount of times and stuff, but I literally just completely block it out, right? But that's exactly how it is, right? It becomes just like, background noise that we just think is normal. That is the voice of God in our lives too. And so he'll do things to try to break through that in us and he'll allow things to happen so that we'll face him and we'll come to him certainly. But, but again, we have a part to play. We can ignore that. We can say no. And the second part of this encounter where we ask, Father, who am I in your eyes? We also have to ask, am I willing to hear the real answer? So if you wrote down that first question, I want you to write down this second one. Am I willing to hear the real answer? Because, man, we're good at putting words in God's mouth. For years, I justified my self-hatred. Decades of my life, I justified my worthlessness. And I would say, like, no, it's just, you know, it's just the way it is. It's okay. Like, I know God loves me, but like, I'm not expecting anything from him. You know, I'm just going to stick my head down and do my thing, and, and that's how I lived. And man, I know, I know now that broke God's heart because that's not what he had for me. And I missed out on so much only because anytime I would literally ask, that, like, ask myself that question, am I willing to hear from Jesus today? Am I willing to hear from God in this moment? And I would answer, No. For years and years and years, I said no, because I was terrified of what that answer was. And that was still pride, because I wanted to own the way that I saw myself more than I, the truth of things, right? It was more comfortable, comfortable for me to sit in my reality, my worthlessness, right? My self-hatred, whatever that was, right? All that junk. It was way more comfortable to sit in that than to have to face the reality of God's love in my life. So I, I tried to reject it. <laughs> and thank God he never gave up on me. Because, because I've, I've done a lot of work to, to try to receive his love in my life. And I'm not all the way there. I don't know that I'll ever know the fullness of God's love. I don't know. But I know that today I know it more than I ever have. And I know it's power in my life in a way that I never thought possible. So I, I just would ask you to be willing and then be open to that question. Am I willing to hear the real answer from God? And I'm just, I, would, I just literally want us to ask that question right now. I'm going to, like, close your eyes, and I'm going to ask that, and only you know your heart. Are you willing to hear from Jesus? Are you willing to hear his words in your life? Are you willing to receive his truth about who you are? Do 
If you're unwilling in this moment, then I cannot stress enough, get some help. I would love to meet with you. I would love to help you break through that. Others did it for me. And I would love to help you be able to receive what God has for you. Because he has so much for you. Do not let pride stop you from getting rid of pride. See how that works? Isn't that so crafty? Like, oh, it's the pride that keeps us in pride, for crying out loud. And so we have got to face it and we've got to deal with it if we want to get healing, if we want to become more of who God created us to be. And if you are willing, then once we begin, we begin the work of rooting out pride from our lives, then we also must actively be replacing that pride with something else. And that's where we step into this humility understanding that Proverbs is telling us. When pride comes, then comes disgrace, but with humility comes wisdom. And so we replace pride with humility. We replace pride with humility. And humility is simply the opposite of pride. Again, we typically uh, think of humility, at least I did for a long time, and this is what helped me justify my my feelings of self-hatred is like, I thought of humility as like, just, I'm nothing. I am, I am so low. I am such a small, insignificant thing. You know, and so I'm going to act like that and I'm just gonna go about my day like, you know, like cowering around other people and putting everybody in front of myself because I'm, I'm not worth anybody's time or their, you know, or their attention in my life. But humility is really an incredible thing because it's, it's actually just seeing yourself the way that God sees you. It's looking in a mirror and seeing yourself the same way that God sees you when he looks at you. And I'll tell you, that's a radical thing. <laughs> that is a radical thing to be able to look at yourself in the face and have even one more revelation about how God sees you, about what he thinks of you. You know, and the trick here is that we, we don't need to and we can't put words in God's mouth about this. You know, we know that, like, Jesus loves me, and we know that stuff. You know, we have that head knowledge. We understand those things, right, because other people have told us. But we need to be told that ourselves, right? We need to do the, the work of digging that out and finding what those promises are. And so we've got to look to the word, to find out what kind of promises there are, are, are for us, how God sees us. You know, and there are hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of promises in Scripture. In the New Testament alone, there's like 160 verses that tell us who we are because of him in us. In Rooted, typically um, in our Rooted class that we have, um, we have an identity night, and uh, we just did it recently, but we have an identity night, and I will read 90 um, 90 individual promises from the New Testament over everybody in the class. And it's like an, over, it's an overwhelming experience to hear it all. And that's still just 90 of the 160. And so this morning, I would, I would love to have you repeat after me some of these promises so that we can get a greater dose of true humility in our lives, a greater understanding of who we are just based on what just based on what God's word says about us. 
And so I'm just going to say one, of the, uh, uh, one at a time. I'm going to speak it out, and then I want you to repeat after me every single one that I say. And I want you to say this with conviction, because this is truth. This isn't wishful thinking. This is what the creator of the universe says about you. If you have a relationship with Jesus, if you have surrendered any part of your life to him, if you are working towards that goal of greater and greater surrender in your life to Jesus, if you've invited him, if you know him as your savior, these are your promises. These are in fullness your promises, okay? Do you hear what I'm saying? I don't want us to take this lightly because this is not a small thing. Because I believe when we speak these things out, we break chains, we break bondage in our lives that could have been there for decades in our life, maybe even from childhood because of something that a teacher or a parent spoke over us that we just have owned our whole lives, that that's just the way it is. But that is the enemy at work in us. That is him trying to root lies in our lives. And it, and it can just take one moment of owning a truth in our lives for that lie to be completely and fully uprooted and thrown into the fire. So we do not take the promises of God lightly. We cannot take the promises of God lightly. They are everything to us. They are everything to us. Do you hear what I'm saying? I I want us to stand for this next part. Jesse, you're good, buddy. (laughs) All right. Repeat after me. I am a child of God. I have been redeemed. I am the light of the world. I am an enemy of the devil. I am Christ's friend. I am victorious through Jesus Christ. I am clean. I am an heir of the king. I am forgiven. I am more than a conqueror. I am God's unique masterpiece. I am a temple of the living God. I am loved. I am loved. I am loved. Do you own that? You are loved by the creator of all things. You are seen You are cherished. You are cared for. He looks on you with pride. He looks on you as his child. Your picture is on his refrigerator. (laughs) I've always loved that image. But it is. He thinks the world of you. He tells people about you, right? Like, look at that. Look at that. That's my kid. That's my kid right there. That's what our God does. That's how he sees you. You can sit down.
what would change in your life if you owned those things that we just said? And that's only a small fraction of the promises in Scripture of who we are. What would change in your life if you owned those statements? I hope you can see that the answer to that is pretty radical things. Incredible things would change if every morning you spoke those things over your life, if you spoke those over your family members, your kids, at the dinner table, if you read one of those together every night and discussed what that actually meant. And that is my weapon against the enemy and my kids too, just as much as it's the weapon against the enemy and me. When I hear the enemy trying to say, and drag me back down to some of those lies that you're not good enough. You can't do this. You're not enough for this. How dare you think that? I say, no, you don't understand who I am. You clearly don't understand who I am. I am an heir of the king. I am loved. I am a child of God. I am more than a conqueror, and I am your enemy, and you better run. And I want to speak that same truth with that power over my children so that now they own those things. Now they understand those things. So that when the enemy comes at them and whispers it in their ear or when the enemy speaks to them through some other subject in their life, I want them to know who they are first. I don't want them to be told by any false source, including what I say. I want them to know what God says about them. I'm just a steward of these kids. And I'm so grateful that I get to be that steward, but they're his kids. And he's the one that gets to label them. He's the one that gets to tell them who they are. And he's the one that gets to do the same thing for you. He's the only one that has that authority. He made the blueprint for you. <laughs> what would change? What would change if you own those things in your life? Well, after we've done the work to root out pride in our lives and after we've done the work to replace that pride with humility, then we have to maintain our freedom. We have to maintain what we've gained because it, we can still slip out of that. I can say I'm loved. I can say I'm a child of God, but I still have to have the faith every day to own that. Because I can still, with just one statement out of my mouth, or one statement thought and owned in my head, I can completely go back on that. And I can question it, and I can say, sure, I'm loved by God, but... I can still do that. And so we have to maintain what we know to be true. We have to maintain by faith the reality of what God speaks over us. And so that requires us to be vigilant about this. We are in a battle every single day. It takes a moment by moment struggle, a moment by moment, a daily, a daily time to contemplate, who am I, God? Like, what is going on in my life today? That's why 
Jesus' uh, the Lord's Prayer that he gave us, right, is a daily thing that we're supposed to be doing. We receive our daily bread from him. We, we uh, renounce the sin in our lives. We ask for forgiveness. We tell him, please, free us from temptation in our lives. Help me to forgive those around me. It keeps us in freedom. It maintains the freedom that we've, given, that we've gotten, and it maintains the humility in our lives as well. So we stop trying to do it on our own. Because if we're not receiving the daily bread from God, we're going to try to get it from somewhere. And if we don't, any, any other place that we look to to receive that daily bread is pride because we're thinking that maybe there's something better out there for me than what God has. Maybe there's another, another source of life out there. And the enemy wants that too. And he whispers that to us just as much and says, ah, I think you might find just as much fulfillment in this other source. Why don't you, it's, what's it going to hurt to go try it? All it takes is one day. All it takes is one decision, one choice. And it can radically shift us out of humility and into pride. So as we're actively pursuing breaking these bonds of pride that the enemy's worked towards setting up in, in so many areas of our lives, he's also actively working um, on, on finding where we might be susceptible to it in another area. And that's what I, you know, have been talking about for, for a while about it's, it's easy for us to maybe focus on what we know is wrong in our lives, but it's easy also for us to kind of ignore what we think is good. And so if we're not vigilant about that, and if we don't come to God on a daily basis and present all things to him and say, okay, God, like, I'm open to hearing anything you have. I'm not going to drive this conversation. I'm not going to be the one that says, hey, I only want to work on this today with you, God. I'm just going to be open and say, God, what do you have for me today? What do you need to take my face and force me to look at today? Because sometimes I need that from him. I need him to take me with, and just go like, look over here. Like, you're ignoring this, you know. I need that. But I also have to invite that in my life. Otherwise, I will miss it. And it'll become destruction for me so quickly. So we ha at, the enemy is actively looking for those weak spots in our life. So we have to actively be open to God shoring those things up in our lives. But here's the, there is a reality to how the enemy works, though, I believe. I believe that the enemy gives up pretty easily. You know, uh, James 4, 7 has this promise, resist the devil and he will flee from you. It doesn't say attack. It doesn't say fight for your life. It's just resist. It, you know what resistance is? No, that's resistance. No. That's resisting the devil. You know, it's not like sometimes we think like I have to have a Bible in my hand and a cross in the other. And it's like, OK, here we go. Like in the name of Jesus, get out. You know, like we 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 play it up because we kind of see it in Hollywood and stuff that like it's got to be this exorcism experience. But Jesus didn't do that. He wasn't like, you know, calling down thunder and lightning in these moments. It was simply just like, go. He just said, go be healed. It was simple. No shouting was necessary. And we have that same source in us. We have the same authority in us that he had. So when we say no, the enemy knows he doesn't get to touch us anymore. And I think he gives up, like I said, very easily. But I, don't, I also don't think that we recognize when temptation comes often enough. 
And because we don't resist at all, it just gets right in there. And it becomes sin. It becomes brokenness in our lives, you know. Um, that promise of that we are the enemy of the devil is kind of an amazing thing. You know, he's, do you know that he's terrified of you? The enemy is terrified of who you are in Christ. Absolutely terrified. And we build the enemy up to be this, like, monstrous source that we need to be afraid of. But we do not. Not in Christ. He is nothing. He has no control over us outside of what we willfully give him. And so we simply just need to resist. You know, 1 Peter 5, 8, and 9 says, Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. So first, I, it, you know, it talks about the enemy like this roaring lion. Like that's, like, that's a pretty scary image, right? But I want you to think about what that means, right? National Geographic, Discovery Channel, like when you're watching how, it, how a lion works, like he's not going to go after the strongest. He's not going to go after a fight most of the times. He's going to try to pick off the weak link. He's going to pick off the unsuspecting. And so if, if we are cognizant of this, and if we're staying in a group Right? When we're not isolating ourselves away from where, uh, you know, the body of Christ, where we receive a lot of protection from the enemy, if we're not isolating ourselves, we're going to be okay. But the enemy wants us to isolate ourselves. He wants to draw us out of the pack so that he can corner us and he can attack. That's what he does. Isolation is a massive way that he does this. And man, he used COVID to do that in so many of us. He used COVID to do that in our society, and we have like, scaled way back socially in such a short amount of time from where we were before COVID. But the enemy loves to isolate us so he can devour us, is what it says. But I also love this promise, resist him standing firm in the faith. We resist him by standing firm in who we are, who we are to God, and who we are together the gates of hell will not overcome the church. And if you are in the church, you will not be overcome. God is faithful. He's good. But there's work that we have to do as well. Amen? He has all those things promised for us. And I just want to address, you know, if today you find yourself in a weak state, if today you find yourself uh, understanding that you have the tendency to isolate yourself and maybe you have isolated yourself or maybe are isolating yourself actively, I just need you to hear that's what the enemy wants you to do. And he's going to place all kinds of excuses for that in your, in your life. And people will hurt you. I've been hurt. You all have been hurt you're going to be hurt again. I'm going to be hurt again. I've been hurt a million times by the church. I've been hurt worse by the church than any other entity in this world. But that's because there's broken people in the church. But we also find life. 
We find camaraderie. We find the body of Christ. We find a place of purpose. We find the mission of God. We find the kingdom at work. We find God's very presence in the body of Christ and in the church. So I just beg you, if you're finding yourself isolating because of pride, like I don't need anybody or nobody wants me or nobody would want to talk to me, I just ask you to rebuke that in the name of Jesus. You know, I I searched um, for a long time in my life to try to find a mentor. And I got told by probably three pastors, sorry, I don't have time for that. And that was like, okay. And, And I wanted to give up, you know, but like... But I didn't. And uh, eventually somebody said yes, and that was the person that God had in mind for me. And so sometimes a no in those situations isn't a bad thing. Maybe it's God protecting us from a situation like that, but it doesn't mean that we give up. And so I can't enough encourage you to find an accountability partner in your life. Find a mentor in your life. Find somebody that at least you can talk to. You know, if you need to go to a Christian counselor, I have great names of Christian counselors that I can give you. Um, But the enemy wants you to give up on that pursuit. The enemy wants you to give up on trying. But you can't. I'm begging you, don't stop trying. Please don't stop trying. You know, we maintain our freedom by knowing, learning, and owning, you know, who we are to God. And by telling the enemy who we are, We own our our freedom by telling the enemy who we are, and we own our freedom by telling others who they are. If we can shore that up in those around us, you better believe it's going to get shored up in us too. And that's part of telling our story. That's part of telling our story. So to conclude here, I just want to put uh, Proverbs 11.2 back on the board, and I just want us to read this together if we can. So with me. When pride comes, then comes disgrace, but with humility comes wisdom. And I would ask that you try to memorize that this week. Try to hide that in your heart and use that as a weapon so you can remind yourself when you start feeling prideful on one end of the spectrum or the other, right? You can say, hey, I don't want disgrace in my life. I don't want brokenness. You know, other proverbs say pride comes before the fall. Pride, you know, it's, it's devastating. And so we need these reminders, but with humility comes wisdom. So, um, I I just want to end by bowing our heads, and uh, I'm just going to ask some questions. I'm going to ask those questions that we said earlier, and I just want you to sit in a moment and try to receive what God has for you today. So let's just start with some prayer. Father, thank you so much for who you are, as always. Thank you for your goodness in our lives. Thank you for never leaving, never forsaking us. Thank you for always being with us. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your promises in our lives. Thank you for the power of those promises and that those promises can overcome every single thing in our lives. Overcome the enemy inside and outside of us, Father. In this moment, God... We want to say we're willing to hear from you. God, we're willing to hear from you right now. And so who are we to you, God? 
Who are we to you, God? I just want you to meditate on that question and be open to the answer for a little bit. And then we'll go into some time of worship. Who are we to you, God? Who am I to you, God?